And someone was telling me, they said, uh, yes, someone told them all sorts of stuff about you, that they need to cancel your adoption. They said that you're a Satanist that teaches people to uh, divorce. And I, I was listening to this going, what? The whole thing was so absurd, but it was real. I'm Paul Hastings, and you're listening to Compelled, a podcast with unique stories from the kingdom of God told by the people compelled to live for him. Last week, we heard from Robert Harris, a missionary to Southern Asia, and we had a very candid conversation about the Great Commission and the many ways that God is at work today on the front lines of evangelism. If you missed it, you can hear that story by visiting our website, compelledpodcast.com. Today, our guest is Eric Ludi, a well-known Christian author and speaker. And we're diving into his backstory, how he came to faith, some of the uncomfortable stances he's had to make for the cause of Christ, and what submission to God's kingdom really means. That story coming up right after a word from today's sponsor. I met with Eric Ludi at the beautiful Ellerslie Mission Society campus in Colorado. My sister attended their discipleship training program a couple of years ago and came back with a rave review. So of course, I wanted to learn more. Several years ago, I read a handful of Eric's books, the most famous of which is When God Writes Your Love Story. And if that book sounds familiar, it's because it was one of the top-selling Christian books for 18 months when it came out. Our conversation, though, didn't really focus on the book so much, even though that's what Eric is most well-known for. I figured that you can read the book for yourself to catch up on that. Instead, I wanted to know about Eric's personal journey of faith and what it's meant to submit his life to Christ. I have two amazing parents, uh, God-fearing, God-loving. My mom was very intent on leading me to Christ uh, young. So I remember sitting on her lap when I'm five and we, you know, I yielded my life to Jesus. I mean, it was, it was real. I, I loved Jesus so much back then. I went to bed at night with every picture of Jesus that was in the house. I mean, we'd take pictures off the wall and I would sleep with them in the bed because I wanted to be close with Jesus. Wow. And I didn't know how to express that, but it was a very real thing. And uh, it's a weird thing to think because something happened in my life between five and uh, 18 that I don't know how to address. And I'm really glad that Jesus didn't come back in that time because yeah. I don't even know how to process. But you know, I just got swallowed up in the cool, yeah. uh, being something, being popular, being liked. And uh, the two don't correlate. Christianity and cool, I've always said, they just, they don't go well together. Yeah. You have to choose. Do you want to be well-liked by this world or do you want to be with Jesus? And so I, I chose the world. Even though Eric had given up on God by the time he finished high school, God didn't give up on him, which Eric was about to discover through very unlikely means. Uh, my sister, who chose Jesus, <laughs> uh, older than me, she went off to uh, be a missionary. And she was teaching at a school down in Texas. And if you remember Keith Green, yeah. uh, Keith Green had died in a plane wreck at a near this time, just a few years earlier. And Melody had written a book about Keith, Melody, his wife. And just a quick note for those wondering, Keith Green was one of the pioneers of contemporary Christian music back in the 70s and 80s. God used him tremendously in spreading the gospel through music and concerts. But unfortunately, he died in a tragic accident when he was only 28 years old. And my sister was teaching his kids, uh, the ones that still were alive, because some of them died. Keith's kids. Yeah. Wow. Keith's kids. And so she was teaching his kids. And so Melody comes out with his book, and my sister reads it and is like, that's Eric. 
Eric and Keith Green are actually fairly similar, uh, both very passionate, both had big mop of curly hair. You know, there was just so many weird similarities to us. So my sister had Melody sign it. She gave it to me for my for a Christmas gift in 1989. And how old were you then? I would have been, it just turned 19. Yeah. I, I was so moved by the, I kept asking myself, why'd she give me a book? This was not a common practice for her to give you no, books then. No, she always gave me what she knew I would want. Like she gave me weight gain powder. She gave me a muscle shirt once. She gave me, you know, she gave me sports stuff. Yeah. And it was always my favorite gift. She yeah. knew me really well. Yeah. She prayed for me every day. And so she actually told me that she'd prayed about what she should give me for Christmas, which bothered me. So I finally uh, opened up the book and this man's in search of truth. And I had to know uh, what he was after. And so I, I found myself as he yielded his life to Jesus, I yielded my life to Jesus. Mm. And the first call I made was to Chrissy. And uh, Chrissy didn't get calls from me. Yes. And so she's like, Eric? I'm like, yeah, um, <clears throat> Chrissy, I, 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 I read that book. And I gave my life to Jesus. Mm. All she did, her entire response, listen to this, she just cried. Mm. And it was a pretty special memory for both of us. Yeah, that's great. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, do you still have the book to this day? No, I gave that book away as soon as I finished it. I I became a radical is yeah. the best way of describing it. I mean, Eric doesn't know anything but radical, I think, in his life. If I'm a Bronco fan, I was the biggest Bronco fan, actually. Uh, got in a fight before all this, you know, at college over the Denver Broncos. Oh, wow. uh, someone who criticized the backup quarterback for the Denver Broncos, and I didn't like that. Yeah. And so I've always been very passionate, and my passion was misled up to that point. But when I found Jesus, or as we know, he found me, if you want to say it that way, I, I just, I mean, I was all in. Yeah. I was all in. It's like, he gave everything? Okay, I'm giving everything. And yeah. so I was uh, recruiting people in the dorm to come in and pray for revival on the campus. So we were pr meeting in my campus dorm room every night for praying for revival. I didn't even know how to pray, but it's like, Hey, we're praying for revival. I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to ask, but I meant it. I mean, I was uh, all in. So that book, it was gone. You know, it's like, you need to read this book. And then I'd get another copy of You need to read this book. I just figured it must be the book somehow that that triggered. And, uh, it is an interesting note that my brother, who was in a similar boat spiritually as I was, was just felt like I'd betrayed him. Mm. I'd become a Chrissy is what he, what he said. Yeah. And so he got so convicted, he actually picked up the book too. And he's like, what did er what happened to Eric? And he gave his life to Christ through that book. Wow. So uh, wow. It's, that, that book's had a big impact in the, the Ludi family. Wow. Praise uh, God. Yeah. Really, really special. Now that Eric was a self-proclaimed radical for God, he realized that life couldn't continue as before. You know, I was starting to be a doctor and that I was in a very good program at the time, a high placement rate into med school, and I was basically at the top of my class. So I was doing extremely well. And then God entered my life. I'm not saying I was doing bad after he entered the life. I don't want to make it sound that way, but I wasn't my priorities began to shift as far as what my value system was. And I, I remember I presented my life before God. It, uh, I had multiple stages of this where he was just doing a deep work of, we could call it the initial sanctification work. I mean, sanctification, we both know, goes, you know, goes the distance. But it was an initial work of grace in me that was just like, let's get some of this big stuff moved out of the way. Like, yeah. let's get the furniture in the right spots here, okay? Yeah. Uh, we'll deal with some of the fine-tuned details as we move. But it was like, Eric, uh, what about your future? Well, my future, I, I could tell you, God, here's what I'm doing. 
And he's like, well, what if I had a different plan? Have you ever thought about how this is supposed to work? Eric, mm. I'm like in charge instead of you now. And that's how it works around here. And I realized I'd never, I'd never given him that. And so I gave him my future. And that began a, a domino effect in my life. Uh, and uh, I remember I, I, one very specific story was uh, me praying and saying, God, show me in your own special way what you want me to do. If you don't want me to be a doctor, which I couldn't. I mean, fathom that he wouldn't want me to do that because I could use that for Jesus yeah. and make money. Yeah. It's like I could be like, that's my tent making, Jesus. That makes total sense. And yet I'd never given it to him. So I gave it. This starts a, a framework of outward focus in my life where God was beginning to train me to think outwardly. And I have so many layers of stories of sort of when we call it a calling of beginning to recognize, see some pieces come together of like, why am I here? What am I here for? And there's a general answer to that. We're all here to glorify Jesus. We're all here to, you know, showcase his image in and through our life as the spirit of God works in us. He showcases Jesus. So all of us, that's our calling, Jesus. But specifically, we all sort of walk through that process of understanding, well, what make what part of the body am I? What, what am I supposed to be doing? Well, God, I don't know. Can you show me? And begin to recognize just that refinement. Uh, and part of it was delayed until I, I met Leslie. Our, our love story you know, has been around the world. And, but that whole process of me surrendering, even now my future marriage, being willing to be single, but then saying, God, if you have someone for me, I want you to write the love story. As Eric submitted his life to God's plan layer by layer, it also meant he had to take some unpopular stances. We were going to a rally, a youth rally, maybe like, 500, 750 uh, young people, high school age, and in Monroe, Louisiana. And we were talking in the bus about relationships where other people were. And so then they were like, hey, Ludi, what do you think about this? They asked me some question. And so I gave them my answer. I, you know, I said, well, I actually love my, my future wife right now. It was a really weird statement to everyone there. And I remember this, one of the leaders was like, that's ridiculous. Uh, what do you mean you love her now? I said, well, because I look at love as more than just a physical uh, expression. I look at it as a commitment of the heart. And I, I'm committed to her right now. I mean, she matters to me. And so I love her. I cherish her. I, I want to live my life to honor her. Even though you don't know who, who she was. I had was. no idea who she was. And and that, this other leader was just mocking me in front of everyone. And so that was quite an interesting dynamic just right there. But then we get to this rally and they say, yeah, do you have someone who could speak on uh, purity tonight? Uh, we, we just thought that maybe you would have someone with you. And one of the people in the bus said, uh, well, because our, our leader goes, I, I don't know, I have to think about that. And one of the guys said, well, Eric Ludi has a lot to say about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so the leader comes up to me, it's like 10 minutes before I'm supposed to speak, and says, um, yeah, uh, could you speak tonight on purity? In 10 minutes. Yeah, in 10 minutes, so you'll, and you'll have maybe 10 minutes. And yeah. uh, so... I didn't really have much of a choice. It was just sort of like, oh, okay. And I was as nervous as you can get. I didn't speak. This wasn't what I did. And I knew what I was supposed to share. That's what it was so interesting for, which is always, I've always remembered that, that God gave me what to share, but I knew it wouldn't be popular. Yeah. And I was, I knew I was supposed to talk about uh, internal purity. I was supposed to talk about purity of the heart and mind, not just purity of the body, because that's all anyone ever talked about in Christianity at that time. No one ever addressed thought life. No one ever addressed uh, what we call spiritual virginity. In other words, that you don't give yourself with lust to another woman. And 
And I, I knew that I was supposed to address this, even though I was as guilty as anyone in this. I wasn't going to come up there and say, hey, look, guys, you know, I'm all pure. You're not. I was going to say, I feel like God has shown me that it's more than just a ring on the finger to say, hey, I'm waiting for someone. It's more than some card that you sign. It's how we live inside. That if our future spouse could see what we're doing inside, would they feel honored? Would they feel cherished? And that's where God's working in me. So as I was sitting in the in the crowd, I remember it was one of the crux moments of my life. Like this is the defining moment of Eric's life right here. Is I was saying, God, I can't, I can't do that. I can't share that. I can't, I can't. God, that they, they don't want that. That isn't what they're asking for. They don't know that you're talking to me right now about this. That God, you can't do this to me. I'm too young to take a stand like that. And about second, I mean, I'd say five seconds before I went up there, I finally said, Okay, God, I do this for you. And I don't know what the consequences of this are, but I'm just going to say right now, and they're, they're announcing me right now, that I trust you. And I go up and I share. And I probably wasn't very eloquent. And I probably I could have even said it in a funny way. I don't know. I yeah. don't remember any of that. Yeah. Everyone was silent. The only thing you could hear every now and then is a, you know, a little cough in the crowd. No one claps. The leader gets up afterwards and says, well, well, he sort of his thumbs in his pockets. Well, I'm not here to preach holiness to you. My uh, team then confronts me afterwards and wants me to repent and seek forgiveness from everyone. Wow. Because I, I brought condemnation on everyone. Wow. And I, I had to say, guys, I did it out of love. And it's because I love you. And hey, guys, I know what it's like to live in impurity. I mean, I, I do. However, that doesn't mean that the word of God is uh, not true. And I, I, I believe this is what he's calling us to. And yeah. so I can't repent. I, I have to stand. And uh, so that's where it started. Eric had no idea, but that particular evening would become a reflection of the next 20 years of Eric's ministry. He ended up meeting and marrying his wife, Leslie, and together they wrote a book called His Perfect Faithfulness about their love story. And just like Eric's talk at the youth rally, he and his wife encouraged readers to embrace physical, emotional, and mental purity until marriage. And to their surprise, the book was a hit. And the Ludies didn't know what to make of it. I moved back to Colorado to go to medical school. So I'm establishing residency. I was waiting a year. And we're getting invited all over the world. It's not an exaggeration. Literally, invites from all over the world to come speak on relationships. Got, why do they want to hear us talk about relationships? And I remember where I was, driving through our neighborhood. We were uh, living with Leslie's parents in this transition time. And uh, I look over at Leslie as we're driving and I say, <clears throat> okay, it's really hard for me to ask this question, Leslie, but what if God wanted us to do this full time? Now, her response was exactly what my response was, which was no way. And I said, okay, I'm with you in that. But I'm just asking because what if God has a different opinion on it? <laughs> which he did. And both of us had to, in a sense, learn to gain his desires for our life instead mm. of ours. And I think that's one of the most important transitions we went through is to trust him that if he leads our life, he displaces our desires with his own. He, he like, he overwrites them. So as we delight ourselves in the Lord, he gives us the desires of our heart, but that doesn't mean he just fulfills what we want. It means he gives us what he desires. Mm. So we now have his desires in our heart as we delight in him. The Ludies began speaking and writing full time. And some of it had to do with romance and relationships, but for the most part, it had to do with submitting every area of our lives to Christ. But this too led to some difficult situations. One situation in particular requires a little backstory. 
Shortly after the Ludis began their ministry, an unusual revivalist came to Australia with some questionable teachings. Those teachings had revival attendees making animal noises as a supposed expression of the Holy Spirit's power in their life. For example, barking like a dog, or roaring like a lion, or slithering like a snake. And it just so happened that Eric was scheduled on a speaking tour in Australia that was just behind everywhere that the revivalists had been. As a teenager, I had so many friends whose lives were transformed by attending a Worldview Academy leadership camp. For many of them, it was the highlight of their summer because it was such a spiritually engaging experience. And today, Worldview Academy's mission continues. If you have a student between 13 to 18 and you care about equipping them with biblical truth so that they're prepared to stand firm and engage with the culture, then Worldview Academy is what you're looking for. Worldview Academy's week-long summer intensives cover topics in apologetics, servant leadership, and evangelism, all while building deep friendships with like-minded students. Your student will engage with 25 hours of interactive teaching, addressing questions like, how do I know that the Bible is true? Does God really exist? Who defines what is right or wrong? And what difference does that make in my life? Since 1996, over 42,000 students have called this one of the best weeks of their life. And with 18 summer intensives all across the country, there's certain to be one near you. Learn more and get 10% off your student's camp registration as a Compelled listener by using the promo code COMPELLED at worldview.org. Register for camp today at worldview.org while spots are still available. And remember to get 10% off using the promo code COMPELLED. Summer is here, and so is the chance to take a breather from school. And there's a decent chance that the subject your student is most excited to take a break from is math. But it doesn't have to be that way, especially if you're using CTC Math. Their focus is helping your student learn at the pace that's best for them. Every lesson is fully online with interactive questions and clear explanations. And their video tutorials take difficult concepts and break them down into digestible ideas. But here's the crazy part. They have a 12-month money-back guarantee. That's right, you can use CTC Math for an entire year. And if you don't like it, or it didn't work out for you, or if you're just unethical, which as a compelled listener, I hope you're not, then you just shoot them an email and tell them that you'd like your money back, and they'll gladly refund your entire purchase, no questions asked. There is literally no risk for an entire year. You can't beat that. Because their heart is to serve your family. That's why they sponsor Compelled, so that we can continue creating stories that will bless and encourage your family. And they want to do the same for your students' math needs. So whether summer is a time for your student to catch up, keep up, or move ahead, CTC Math is there. Learn more at ctcmath.com. Again, that's ctcmath.com. Every place I went had been stirred by this revival. And I'm going to put quotes around the word revival there because I'm a student of historic revival and I was even at that time. So as a result, this was a tension of tensions for me because I'm in a foreign culture. This is the first time I'd ever gone out of our culture to speak other than maybe Canada. And I didn't know the culture well enough. And it was such a small percentage. At that time, it was less than 2% of Christian in Australia. Wow. Okay, So it was a very low percentage. But that percentage was caught up in this phenomenon. This is before like Hillsong had started. And this was a very new thing. Actually, it was almost the exact time Hillsong was starting. 
And uh, so the very first place I was, so I have jet lag, I'm not doing so hot and I'm in a foreign culture and I'm young. And uh, the pastor is so excited because the last 28 times that someone has spoken at their church, revival has broken out, quotes around revival. And so we're having laughter, we're having barking, we're having these various phenomenons and supernatural things happening. And you have to realize, okay, I'm not trying to say that the Holy Spirit can't do things. He can do whatever he wants. However, we have to test everything that takes place against something. Yeah. And that's the word of God. That's our safety. In other words, the Holy Spirit does not bypass that which he inspired to be written. And so I'm struggling because here's here's my simple statement. Uh, when God gets a hold of a man, he ennobles him and makes him princely. He raises him upright. Instead of down an animal like Nebuchadnezzar position, he raises him upright to behave as Christ, the king of kings. And so something's not jiving in yeah. my soul with this. Yeah. And so I have this pressure on me because this guy's so excited and I, I didn't know what to do, but I'm the like 29th speaker. They've had, they have this massive expectation. It's one of the largest churches in Australia. And they're hoping you're going to start elephant, oh, yeah. you know, or some oh, yeah. kind of camel noise or something. That's next. Right. You know, we yeah, can have yeah. the new noise that yeah. comes out of Eric because of his ministry. And people had our books and they had expectation. They're like, oh, this is so exciting. Now we get the American influence in this. We had the Canadian. Now we have the American. I mean, this is going to be so fun. And oh, it was, it was a form of torment for me. That's all I can say because my topic, listen to what I spoke on, true revival. True revival. And had you chosen that topic before you showed no, up or no, God no, laid that, it on that your That was heart. the burden. That was the burden. Wow. That was like the Eric Ludi stand. Uh, and so the, the message that I gave was so palpably convicting. I mean, it was just a doozy uh, of humility is basically what it was. I said, you want revival, you humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. That's mm -hmm. when he lifts you up. And so no noise. Okay. And no, you know, the random cough. I set down the microphone. I did the strangest thing. I'd never even done this in my life here in the States. I said, I'm going to set down this microphone. There's some of you that need to confess sins before the body. You've, you've, I don't remember how I said it, but I had Leslie come up to play the piano with some background music. She's like, what are you doing to me? So she was up there playing the background. I went to the very back, sat in the back of the, the church. Remember the pastor's head was in front of me. I'm just thinking, poor guy. He's ruined the day that he ever invited Eric Ludy to come yeah. and speak at his church. Nothing happens for like 10 minutes. Finally, this, this girl stands up. She's shaking. She comes up to the front, grabs the microphone and says, uh, Papa, her, her dad was like just a few rows. I have dishonored you in front of this church. I have not shown you proper honor. I have not loved you the way Christ would have me love you. And I need to repent of that and make that right and seek your forgiveness in front of everyone. She's crying. He comes up. He's crying. They're hugging. Suddenly, this line starts forming. It goes on for two hours. After uh, two hours, this uh, lady comes to the front and says, two hours ago, I left saying, there's no way I'm going to confess anything. But I said, I'm going to come back in two hours, God. And if it's still going, I'll say this. So she said, so I'm saying it. And through my time in Australia, I was constantly in this tension because every place I went, had just had this. And so this is like the formation of a young Eric of recognizing in the midst of what I would say is not always even dangerous compromise, even though a lot of this is, it's, Eric, are you will willing to be the fool? Are you willing to be the 29th speaker that blows it? Yeah. It just messes it up. You're the, you're the wet blanket on everything. And I would say my answer is yes. And that in the formation of that tension, that suffering that I was describing, uh, that I've gone through in, in ministry, that's the primary cause. 
it's not because I'm not a nice guy. I think anyone that knows me knows that I'm just a golden retriever. I wave my tail, I wag my tail. I just love people. I genuinely love people, but I love them too much to not give them truth. Mm. And I don't like doing that. I have a social sensitivity. I have that nerve that says, this is going to offend some people. I still am willing to do it. And that has been something the spirit of God has given me a grace for. Not that I actually am naturally inclined that way. I'm in that. I was the homecoming king in high school and in college. You were the popularity dude, the people pleaser, right? It it pleases you to please others, right? So to be the opposite, to be the John the Baptist, the guy that's shouting in the wilderness, no, no God. Please don't, because my social sensitivity is so high. I yeah. know how they perceive John. I know how they look at him, and I don't want to be looked at that way. So God has tested me at that very one of my strength points, which is social sensitivity. It's actually a strength to know I can read people. I know when my audience is offended. Some people don't. I know. I know that guy in the background. I mean, I can read my audience as I'm I'm talking. I know not just body language, like spiritually. I don't know how to describe it. It's like I know where my audience is at. That's a gift to me. It's also my greatest liability because it's a number one thing that would cause me to curtail the truth, to say, well, I don't really want to give it to you that straight. Yeah. I'm going to see if I can sneak it in sideways. So, and so I've had God actually have this sort of discussion with me, if you could imagine. Eric, you, you want me to take you out of this trial? And I want to say yes, but then I sort of go, what, what would I lose? Hmm. Well, Eric, what you have because of this is such closeness with me. It's only gained through difficulty. It's only gained through having such utter dependency on me. You sure you want me to take you out of this? No. God, as long as you want me in this, I choose that. I choose the intimacy. I choose the closeness, even with the difficulty. The Ludies have gone on to write many other books, including When God Writes Your Love Story, which, as I mentioned earlier, was a best-selling Christian book for many months. Like the title sounds, it's about surrendering every area of our lives to Christ, including romance. And as the Ludies sought God's direction in every aspect of their family, they realized that God was drawing them to adoption. So uh, adoption is a very dear thing, a close thing to our heart. Uh, and our first adoption was from Korea. So we have a little Korean girl. And then our next one was domestic. It was a crisis pregnancy uh, situation. And then recent Lily uh, came along. And that's, that's what actually concluded four years ago. But it was a very long process of, of three years. If anyone ever asks me about adoption and they say, yeah, I see that you have some adoptions out of Haiti. Uh, what do you think? Do you think that, you know, we were thinking about Haiti. I would always say on the human side, I'd say never touch it. Hmm. <laughs> don't, don't even think about it. Hmm. On the spiritual side, if God leads you, you have to, you have to do it. But wow. It, the corruption that we ran into was so extreme. And it was a very difficult process for us. I'd say for Leslie and I, it's hard to say it was the hardest thing we ever walked through, but it could be. I mean, hmm. it's right there near the top. What uh, happened? Yeah, it's it's hard to even know how to describe it, but we were taken into a, I don't know if to call it a scheme would be the best way of describing it, but they needed a key figurehead that would create a reputational uh, presence for them. This is my best way of maybe articulating it. And so uh, Eric and Leslie, I think, became that. And Was it like a specific adoption agency yep. or was it the government? No, it was, the, it was an adoption agency, all Americans. And uh, so we became 
I think the trust point for other people too, it's like, well, Eric and Leslie are adopting through us in a way that wasn't the framework we had. Uh, that wasn't the way it was sold to us, but that's, that's what it seemed to turn into. It, my best statement on it would be, I think we were purposely targeted to destroy us and our ministry. I remember one time I was on the phone with uh, Haiti and someone was telling me, they said, uh, yes, yeah, someone came into IBSR, that's the like child protective services uh, down there, and told them all sorts of stuff about you, that they need to cancel your adoption. They said that you are, what was the term? That you're a Satanist that teaches people to uh, divorce. And I, I was listening to this going, what? That is so absurd. First of all, I'm a Christian that teaches people purity and how to build a foundation to go the distance in your marriage. It's like, what a, what a strange thing. Who goes into and says those two things? First in of all, Haiti, like in Haiti, Haiti, it's a satanic country. They, yeah. I mean, they voodoo is their national religion and they don't even understand marriage. So it's like, what? The whole thing was so absurd, but it was real, right? I have someone actually telling me this, that they're considering canceling my adoption because of this informant. <laughs> it's absurd and yet real. I'm dealing with it. Yeah. And if I can't solve the issue uh, from here in America, you know, what am I going to do? Hey, I'm not. I'm not that. It's just like, I have to trust God. I mean, this is ridiculous. They, by the way, that was a lie. The person that was telling me was the one masterminding the whole thing. The uh, person who was telling you that yep. there wasn't a – so there was no informant at That's all. Right. It's That's the right. person on the phone. Uh -huh. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So that was like, yeah, it's one of those great dramas, you yeah. know, where the person that's actually helping you through the adoption turns out to be the- They were the villain. The, yeah. And everything about this was uh, extremely dangerous uh, for us. Um, and there were a lot of factors in this that uh, I don't, it's even hard for me uh, to relive or to get, to get close to, but- there was a lot of extortion uh, that was involved in it. You're, you're attached in your heart to, to two kids. Yeah. They had two kids down there. And that's how they usually win it. Uh, that's how they work it, uh, is you're so attached that you're willing to do whatever they ask. Once we realized there was corruption in it, we, we took a stand and we risked everything when we did that. I mean, it was a very difficult thing to do, but we took a stand. As Eric later described it, the events surrounding their adoption unfolded like an action movie. But thankfully, there was a happy ending. The villain was caught and brought to justice, and the Ludies' adoption was finalized, and their two children were able to join them in America. But for Eric, adoption represents more than just giving children a new family. The preciousness of, of adoption, uh, I mean, it's just truly amazing. Uh, Lily, uh, she, she usually has her hair tightly braided, but today it's like all poofed out. And I, I tell you what, it's, it's heart melting. Uh, yeah. Just the preciousness of what it's like to, to have these kids and to see the gospel unfold before me and understand that I'm adopted. And that's he's crazy. still, I mean, I, I, don't, I forget that they're adopted. And I, I realize that's the kingdom of heaven. You know, it's like I am adopted. Jesus is a rightful son. You know, he's biologically uh, conceived of by the Holy Spirit. I mean, he's God. Uh, and he's born of Mary. So he's man, God. I'm man, but grafted in, adopted in legally because of his shed blood. I'm able to enter in by faith to be a son. And so adoption is like so clear to me now at a whole nother level. It's like my adopted kids have full share in my inheritance. Yeah. They have full share in my love. They have full share in everything that I have. And yet they're not biological. And to understand that reality in the kingdom is just, it's beautiful.
Eric's desire to share the spiritual lessons he's learned along the way and invest in the lives isn't limited only to the children he's adopted, though. That passion has evolved into the Ellerslie Mission Society and Discipleship Training School. You love Christian testimonies. Otherwise, you wouldn't be listening to Compelled. But imagine if you could enjoy Compelled stories from Christians throughout the ages, including those who've already passed away. Well, that's what our friends at YWAM Publishing are doing through their Christian Heroes book series by retelling the incredible stories of Christians like George Mueller, a man of prayer who ran an orphanage for 10,000 children in England who trusted God to miraculously provide food and shelter for those orphans, sometimes on a daily basis. Or Elizabeth Elliot, whose husband was murdered by the Aka tribe in Ecuador but chose to forgive and move in with the tribe to share the gospel with them. Or Brother Andrew, who during the height of the Cold War smuggled Bibles to Christians behind the Iron Curtain, all under the noses of communist border guards who could have imprisoned him for life or worse. These are the types of stories that YWAM Publishing is printing, and their books are written for kids ages 10 and above, but frankly, adults love them too. They've published 50 of these biographies so far, and we just partnered with YWAM Publishing to bring you five of my favorite stories. These are the Christians that have inspired my faith and millions of others for decades, which include the three testimonies I just mentioned, as well as Corey Tin Boom and Amy Carmichael. We're calling it the Compelled Christian Heroes Bundle, and I actually worked with YWAM to select these five specific stories, and they agreed to drop the price in half just for Compelled listeners. So it's $30 and includes free U.S. shipping. To buy this bundle for yourself or to give to a friend, visit compelledpodcast.com slash YWAM. That's the letters Y-W-A-M, compelledpodcast.com slash YWAM. And trust me, if you love listening to stories on Compelled, you're going to love reading these stories too. If you like to stay up to date with current events, then you'll especially appreciate another podcast I enjoy called The World and Everything in It. It's a daily news program, about 30 minutes long, delivered every weekday morning by Christian journalists from around the world. And they aren't just rehashing the current headlines. They're actually doing investigative, boots-on-the-ground journalism while providing biblical cultural analysis. I started listening to their show about five years ago when we first launched Compelled. And since then, they've become one of my go-to sources for understanding current events from a biblical perspective. But they pull no punches. In fact, they tell the facts just as they are, even when it requires sharing uncomfortable truths. Maybe that's why they're one of Apple Podcasts' top 100 news programs. Join me and thousands of other Christians from around the world who listen to the world and everything in it. Just search for The World and Everything in It in your podcast app or visit WNG.org. Yeah, uh, Ellerslie goes back, I think it's around 26 years now, uh, shared it with Leslie and her family, I think, I won't even say like three years before we were married, uh, that I laid it before them. It was the burden of my heart, my life burden, if you want to say it that way, which was to train up, at that time it was young men, eager young men, to have something that I didn't have. In other words, to get 
the foundation of the gospel that Paul preached instead of the gospel of the modern age. Hmm. In other words, the one that calls a man to come and die, the one that prepares them to yield everything, to even die a martyr with a song uh, coming out of their throat, uh, or to sprint towards the lions in the arena as opposed to cowering in a corner. Hmm. It's like that, whatever that is, that's what I want to impart. But I didn't have it. I wanted it. So I craved it, but it was like, here's my vision. I want to... Since I want a father of the faith, I want God to build me into a father of the faith so that I can train them. It's like we have to start somewhere. Since we seem to be rather shortchanged on fathers of the faith these days, I guess he's going to have to start with a generation and build one up. So even though it's going to be the hard way, God, build me into a father of the faith. And so Ellerslie is the outflow of that. Ellerslie, uh, the name itself, is the birthplace of William Wallace in Scotland. And probably one of the most significant books in my life to define manhood for me was a book called The Scottish Chiefs. Hmm. And that book, enunciating in a fictitious way, though based on uh, actual history, uh, enunciated a manhood that I've never before up to that point or even since, other than Jesus Christ. Because Wallace in it is a picture of Christ. Mm. He's the redeemer. Mm. He's the one who lays down his life for his his homeland. And so it, he's perfect in it. So if you're, you're looking for a protagonist that you can identify with, you cannot identify with William Wallace. Uh, you have to pick a different character. So it's an interesting novel because of that. But that book was my grandpa's favorite book. I didn't know that. But then it changed my life. And wow. it was weird to find out that that was my grandpa's favorite book outside the Bible. Wow. And, so that whole flow of just uh, awakening to the realities, the needs. So this this began a prayer project. Les and I are traveling the world speaking. And we would go into an environment and we'd drop a bomb, right? A gospel bomb. And people would be on their faces weeping. It was powerful stuff that we witnessed all over the world. And yet we had an ache. And that is, who's taking that seed that was planted and nurturing it, watering it, taking it unto full fruition? Because the church is not... A disciple in church anymore. We, our concept of discipleship is to have coffee with someone and to ask them, so how you doing? Uh, did you struggle with lust this past week? I mean, it's not bad. I'm not going to even criticize it. It's nice that we're even doing that, but it's not taking precept by precept and establishing a framework of understanding, giving them tools and saying, this is how you use it. And then walking with them through the utilization of it. And so discipleship's lost. And I felt that. I felt the void in my own life and I was craving it. And so that was a 17 years of prayer. And I'm, I'm skipping a lot and getting to this, but that leads to us getting a campus. And one of my, George Mueller's one of my, my heroes, and which he purposely set out to prove God in and through faith. In other words, I'll show you. I have nothing, but I'll pray and ask God, not tell any man and watch what he'll do. Hmm. And I didn't set out to do that, but I feel like God set out to do that in me. When God made it clear what campus we were supposed to go after, it just happened to be one of the lowest points financially less than I'd ever been in, if not the lowest. And when you say campus, you mean physical campus, like yeah. you were going to purchase a physical campus where students could come and learn Bible yeah, teaching. I, yes. And I'm glad you're clarifying all that. I just presume that into the conversation. But yes, that is exactly what it was. And of course, we're at it right now as you're bringing that up. And the... It's impossible. That's all I can say, Paul. Everything about what we're sitting in right now, even for this interview, is on the on paper, you can't do it. You can't explain it. The way a Bible college typically is started is through a denominational support. And you have to have a huge uh, sugar daddy to be able to do stuff like this. Well, we have God. And in the last, what is it, 48 months, we've had 32 months where a week out before the start of the next month where we have payroll, 
we do not have enough money. And it's usually bigger gap than maybe $30,000, okay, for most people just feel that. This is a very expensive thing to do. What sure. We do. It would shock most people to know how much it costs to run a college campus and to do sure. all this. And yet, 32 months, uh, every single time, uh, God has supplied. Wow. And I've watched it. I mean, it's, it is, it's a miracle. It, it is. We had one story, I'm just picking one, uh, where we were th somewhere around 30,000 short. Okay. But it was the day of. So we need to write the checks that day. So if you deposit a check, it's not available today. So we have all our payroll, we have various things due and never missed a mortgage payment and all that time. It's just like, how, how, how's this going to work? Some guy drives up from Denver, you know, it's about an hour away with $30,000 in cash. In cash. Yeah. And says, I just feel led to give this to you. Okay. So I'm just giving you one sample of the 32. So we've been doing this 10 years and I've had plenty of stories of faith. I mean, I have all throughout of faith and finances throughout that time. Last four years, heightened intensity. It's like a pruning back of Eric Ludy to the, the, I mean, the, the sharpest <laughs> pruning shears God could get. Yeah. Just to say, Eric, how are you doing? Are you trusting me? Yeah, Lord. And so Ellerslie is making a huge impact as far as the, the lives that come through here are changed. I mean, it's it's palpable, it's real, and they're getting tools to go and live. But the battle over it is also very real. And I enjoy it hmm. in a strange way. You'd, you'd see a smile on my face, even in talking about it. It's not like a depressing thing, like, oh, Paul, could you give me some empathy here? Yeah. It's actually a bona fide joy that it comes through this work and the difficulties inerrant in it that aren't just relational and people oriented out there, but it's practical. It's like, how do you steer this ship in a modern generation, which uh, doesn't quite get what we're doing, doesn't quite see the importance of it always. Yeah, uh, It's like, okay, God, I trust you. As we begin closing our conversation, Eric had a few last thoughts to share with listeners about what it means to continue seeking God, no matter what may come. The challenges that are inerrant to standing on the front lines and proclaiming truth weren't in my mind when yeah. I started. I, I think I romanticized it a bit. It's sort of like, I love Jesus and people need to know Jesus. So I'm going to start talking about Jesus. And I, I think I expected everyone to fall down, bend their knee and proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. I didn't know that there would... <clears throat> be battle. Yeah. There would be uh, things that would happen to my life and difficulties uh, that would come that uh, would test the very center of my faith, the very uh, core of my being. And yet, one of my favorite topics is the beauty of suffering. And I, I always get to that topic one way or the other, because that's sort of the key message of my life is I've recognized, wow, this is hard. But wow, look what I get out of the difficulty. Hmm. And so if you ask me, Eric, would you rather do it differently? No, I'll take all those difficulties because what I got was intimacy with Christ at a greater level than I ever could have. Hmm. And so my appeal to the younger generation all through these years was, there's something greater, guys. There's something that you crave in the inside. You, you crave heaven. You crave the presence of God. You just don't know it. And the way to get it is you need to die. You need to give up everything to Jesus. You need to trust him with your life and you will find the reason why you were created. He fulfills you in a way that you never will find any other way. And so that became the burden of our hearts. So if you go through all of our books, you're going to see the same message. I remember one person even criticizing us. I don't know. We'd written about eight books at the time. 
and making some statement about they're all their books are the same, you know, give your life to Jesus, yada yada. Yeah. It's like, and I was sort of offended by that at the yeah. time. I was like, what do you mean? You know, we have a different theme. We have a different, but yeah. they're right. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just get get it get it out on the table there. Yeah. I guess that is our message. Every time we speak, it's like, hey, our our whole purpose is to say, Jesus needs your life. Yeah. Give it to him. And when you give it to him, you'll see what he will do with it. Eric, thank you so much for being our guest. We really appreciate your time. I know you're a busy guy, but I've been blessed just like sitting here and listening to you to share about God working through your life. And I'm just so blessed to just know about the compelling ways that God is working through your heart as well. Thanks for just taking this time with me, Paul. We've heard some pretty wild stories on this podcast. An abortion clinic owner that found Christ a NFL Super Bowl champion whose life was turned upside down by God, a mom falsely accused of murder and sentenced to life in prison. But it's sometimes stories like these that I can personally identify with the most. Eric is just a regular guy that's devoted to Jesus, whether it means taking an unpopular stance publicly, being uncomfortable confronting something that's not true, or being targeted because of our faith and having our heartstrings pulled in every direction, Eric has clung to the truth that there's no rock more solid to lean upon than Christ, and he alone is worthy of our absolute submission. If you'd like to learn more about Eric, visit his website, ericludy.com. That's ericludy, L-U-D-Y.com. You can also visit our website, compelledpodcast.com, and look up this episode. We'll include links to the book by Keith Green's wife that revolutionized Eric's faith, the Ellerslie Mission Society and their Discipleship Training School, and some of Eric's books and his sermons and other helpful resources. Just go to our website and you'll see it all there. Again, that's at compelledpodcast.com. Also, Eric has kindly donated three of his books that we're giving away to our podcast listeners. The titles are When God Writes Your Love Story, Wrestling Prayer, and The Brave Hearted Gospel. If you'd like to win one of those books, then you can enter this week on any of our social media pages and we'll choose three winners at the end of the week. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Compelled Podcast and on Twitter at Compelled Show. If you enjoyed today's story and want to keep hearing more, here are a couple of ways you can help out. The first way is to join Compelled as a monthly member. We have different membership levels starting at $10 a month. And as a monthly member of Compelled, you'll receive access to different perks, including behind the scenes recordings from our interviews. And this is for sure the most popular perk for our members. When I actually sit down and interview guests, the actual recording is normally about two hours long. And there are all kinds of stories and insights that we end up cutting out of the final episode. So if you really enjoyed listening to a guest like Eric today, then you can listen to all of that behind the scenes content when you become a monthly member. You can become a monthly member today by visiting compelledpodcast.com and clicking the link at the top that says become a member. The second way you can support Compelled is by sharing this episode with your friends. If you know someone who you think would be encouraged by Eric's story, then send it to them and consider sharing this episode on social media as well. It really makes a difference and helps spread the word about the show. Our show was edited by Zach Fowler. Find him online at zachfowlerimagery.com. Our logo was designed by Josiah Jost. You can view his work online at siadesign.com. Our website was created by Ben Billups. You can follow Ben on Instagram at ben.billups. Our media assistant is Frank Allegram. You can find him on Twitter at thefrankallegram. Our music outro is by Ben Jackson and Brian Facchino. And our assistant producer is none other than my wonderful wife, Sarah Hastings. 
Our guest next Tuesday is Joe Friedman, who grew up as a devout Orthodox Jew, but after attending a Mormon worship service was so unsettled by their portrayal of Jesus that he decided to read a Christian Bible for the first time and had no idea what God was about to do. Stay tuned for a sneak peek from that story. I'm your host, Paul Hastings, and we'll be back with another compelling story next Tuesday. Just the feel of the way Matthew wrote told us that this was written by a Jew who understood what it was like to live in a Jewish community, what, what Jews are like. Jews were the same then as they are now, following rabbinical rules, all about appearances, trying to impress people, having rules that trumped scriptural, scriptural rules, scriptural commandments. And very quickly, it was this feeling of, this is like alive in my hands, this book, this is, this is either true or the greatest hoax ever. One last thing before I go. If you'd like to meet up this year in 2024, I will actually be on the road for a few events, either speaking or exhibiting at some conferences. I am still nailing down all the details, but already I know that I'll be at the Texas Homeschool Convention in Fort Worth from April 18th through 20th. The other Texas Homeschool Convention in Houston from May 30th through June 1st. The Home Educators Association of Virginia Convention in Richmond from June 6th through 8th. And there's also the chance that I might be at some other events in Louisville, Kentucky and Nashville, Tennessee later in the year, but we haven't finalized those details yet. If you live near any of those locations, then I'd love to meet you. You can also see our latest up-to-date calendar of events at our website, compelledpodcast.com slash events. And I hope to see you there.